So what are you going to tell us, tough guys? My usual. Zero. Nothing. What's going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back. Tyson here. Great to have you here this Friday morning. I've just finished a banana smoothie. 20 minute run with a two minute rest and then another 10 minute run. I'm in the final stages of, of trying to fix my calf is, is why I did that. I tell you, it's funny, it's funny when you, you haven't run for a long time. I mean, I've, I've run pretty consistently, but I haven't run hard for a long time. And I just got back into it like I was the, the fittest man in Australia. And my calves kept just pinging on me. I'd never had that before. People that abused me, uh, accused me of being a, an old man. And so I, I hadn't been real grateful for that. So I've been on a rehab process. I've been doing these real specific calf exercises. I should have known. I was at my mum's my house a few weeks ago. And she goes, geez, your calves are skinny ties. I said, hey, I don't come down here for um, any form of body shaming. Come down here for free babysitting and, <laughs> and cooked food. You leave my calves out of this. But they're going pretty well now, thank God. But, I mean, it's a strange session to do. I think this Sunday I'll go for, for 30 minutes. And then next week, I'm going to build up to maybe an hour the Sunday after. And then what I'll do is, so June the 16th, I'm going to start a 16-week build-up to Melbourne Marathon. So from like May the 16th to June the 16th, I'll just, I'll just gradually build it up and hopefully these sexy little calves, because they are, they are getting sexy now, because I've been working at them very consistently. Uh, in fact, it's the only muscle group I've been working on at, at the gym recently, um, which is why I've got a, a, a jumper on. It's not even true. I don't know why I said that. In my head, I thought it was a funny joke, and it came out. It wasn't funny, and it wasn't true, so it's a double negative, which, if year nine math serves me correctly, is actually is actually a positive. Um, yes, I did that. I'm, I'm going to... Man, I need to get myself a, a, a... What do you call it? Not a PA. Just someone and someone to take care of things for me, because I'm not a details man. I've never really been a details man, and, and as a result, I miss important details that would really impact some of your decisions. And, and tomorrow is one of those decisions that's been impacted by me misreading a text message. I, a bloke, I, I, uh, he, he runs a comedy, um, I don't know what you call him. I guess he's like a, I guess he's an agent in a, in a way. He runs a comedy, um, he books comedy acts to random things. So he said to me about a month ago, he goes, mate, do you want a, you want a gig? I go, yeah, you know I do. Uh, I go, where is it? And I read, I read, well, first of all, I said, how much does it pay? And he said, not much. And I said, that sounds about right. <laughs> I'm still interested. I go, where is it? He goes, a long way away. And I go, will you cover the petrol money, do you reckon? He's like, oh, man, honestly, like your payment might just do it. And I was like, all right, <laughs> so I'm just getting paid for petrol. <laughs> anyway, I read the message and I read it as though I'm going to a Chuka. So I typed a Chuka into the Google Maps and it said it's about three hours away. And I was like, you know what, it's pushing it, but it's about double what I would usually drive to go to the city here in uh, in Melbourne to go do comedy. And I get paid $0 for most of those. So I was like, all right, I can do that. And then he messaged me the other day and he goes, hey, Tyson, I'm just making sure you're still good to go to New South Wales. I said, well, and I scrolled up and read his last messages and he was right. He said it's it's well north of Echuca. So tomorrow me and Gav Semple, my mate, are doing a four and a half hour drive from Geelong to Echuca. I've got that. This is my favorite part. So we're going to some guy's 50th. And when I get there, I have seven minutes on stage. So I'm driving a total of nine hours and it's actually four hours, 35 each way. I'm doing nine hours and 10 minutes. And, and when I get there, I do seven minutes of work. So I'll be out of the car for 17 minutes in total, I reckon. 
And um, you know when you go into country New South Wales, I mean, it's not going to be a glamorous gig. Apparently there's 40 or 50 people out there. The lady messaged me yesterday. She goes, hey, we're going to try and organize it in a beer garden, but we'll make it work wherever you guys are performing. And it's going to be one of those ones. Like, <laughs> comedy's funny because it's nice when you have an MC just warm up the room, just soften the blow a little bit for you. Just fill out the crowd, get a little bit of an idea about what they like, what they don't like. But I know what tomorrow's going to be. Tomorrow's going to be, all right, it's a surprise 50th. So old Shano's going to be surprised about the fact it's his birthday. And then me and Gav are going to walk in, and I'm, and they're going to say, okay, comedians, uh, go. And I'll have to get up in front of these people and go, oh, hey, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm a comedian. <laughs> Can I tell you some jokes? And they go, mate, we're trying to talk to Shano. And I go, look, honestly, I've driven, it's, it's nine hours worth of driving for this seven minutes. Just let me interrupt you for seven minutes. Uh, make it worth it for all of us. Just get involved would you <laughs> because anyway it's going to be interesting you know and it's part of the it's a love-hate relationship with comedy because i know that this nine hours of driving is uh is a questionable decision because i know that if, even if even if it goes relatively well it wasn't worth nine hours drive but if it goes very very badly man like how do you justify that i'm taking a day away from my family on the sabbath as it's known and uh i mean I try not to talk too much about it to my wife because, I mean, she has to, the poor thing, she has to cop the kids all day. I mean, she loves the kids, but two two kids under under three years old is, is hectic. I mean, I, I have them sometimes for half an hour and, and it's enough. I can't wait to get back upstairs. So we'll see how that goes. And then the bloke that I'm going with, Gav, great guy, he goes, uh, how about we go do the Exford? I don't know if I told you guys about this. So Melbourne Comedy Festival is happening in Melbourne at the moment. And after the, the actual festival shows each night where all the comics just go and get wasted, uh, there's a pub called The Exford, and they call it The Bear Pit because everyone just goes, gets drunk, and comedians get up and do comedy. And so we're going to do that tomorrow. That starts at 11 p.m. So, I mean, what I'm trying to tell you is uh, is I need a PA to make my decisions for me because I clearly don't have the, the judgment or the ability to organize that for myself. It's going to be long. I honestly think the the gig that I could have driven an hour and a half for is going to be the best gig. But we'll see. Maybe I've just got a, a negative mindset. I can't say for sure what's going on, but uh, but that's where we're at. Yeah. Hey, did you see our boy Sam Talent was on Joe Rogan yesterday? I reached out to Sam Talent ages ago because I, I read his book. You might remember me telling you if you've been around for a while. His book was amazing, Running the Light, about a comedian on the road and just trying to keep his life together. When all he's focused on for like the last 30 years of his life is stand-up comedy. <clears throat> Fictional book combined with a little bit of uh, non-fiction. It was unreal. I heard I heard some people speak about it originally on Rogan's podcast. And I was like, oh, that sounds interesting. And I read it and it, it was amazing. So I reached out to him and said, mate, your book was amazing. And he wrote back unexpectedly. And he was like, hey, thank you. I was like, oh, I didn't expect that. And so I kept the conversation going because, you know, why wouldn't you? And then I said, mate, would you like to come on, on Pop Culture Podcast? And he goes, one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Yeah, I would. And then, so I don't know, it was it was like maybe maybe three three months ago now. But we had an awesome chat. Like it was a really, really good conversation. I remember just having fun and we were riffing. And I said to Jesse not long ago, I go, hey, watch this. This guy, it's not going to be long till we see him on Rogan's podcast. And she's like, okay, hero. Like, who, no, who, first of all, Jessie hears that and she's, she genuinely doesn't care. I, I get fanboyed a little bit. I hear about Rogan. I go, you know what? Like, 
what a man, what an achievement. And Jessie, she just couldn't care. So me bragging like that to her, it, it does, it doesn't impress her. So, so I come to you and say, I don't want to say I'm a better judge than Rogan, but he was, he was here first. I got, I've listened to about half of the episode. He's such a good dude. He's such a good dude. He's one of those guys, like he was copying heaps of shit in Rogan's feed on Instagram because apparently he's, he's a, a I, I don't, these aren't my words. This is just what people in the uh, comments are saying. They call him a bit of a, he's a bit woke. He's a bit woke. Or, or I think he said something about there not being a woke agenda. I haven't heard that on the podcast yet, uh, but people were pretty angry. Not, they were more angry about the fact that Joe and him were drinking Bud Light. <laughs> Did you see that? Man, that's been a, a debacle over the last couple of weeks, hasn't it? Dylan Mulvaney making an appearance with uh, with the Bud Light cans. It's funny because Joe's take on it, I completely disagreed with. Joe's like, who gives a fuck if people want to, like, this is a company. Uh, these guys want to reach new people. They want new people to drink their alcohol. And people go, no, Joe, that's that's not the thing, man. Like the the issue here is not that they're trying to reach new people. That's not a problem. The issue here that is every woke company feels as though they have to just get connected with some woke agenda and just shove it down people's throats. And it comes at you with almost a, a level of arrogance, doesn't it? It's like no, the, the, the presidents and the vice presidents and the marketing team know what you and I should be thinking and should be feeling about social issues. And if they can just put this, this girl's face who used to be a guy's face on the side of a beer can, then uh, that's, that's the answer. And I mean, it's just sprinkled with, with so many issues, isn't it? Because it's hard to even talk about because you call him a girl, do you call him a guy, like you get in trouble for that. Then all of a sudden it's like, okay, is, is beer company really the right people to, to be targeting us with this message? Like, is this really their role? Because when you think about it, they just, they serve alcohol water, <laughs> bubbly alcohol water. And uh, you start looking at it and you go, well, I, this doesn't really make a whole heap of sense to me because you just don't seem like the kind of, company that that really truly cares about something like this and i think i i watched an interview with the vp she was some harvard graduate i can't remember her name but she was speaking in the interview that like bud light's performance over the last few years has been in rapid decline and she thinks that part of that is because they haven't kept up to date with uh, what is culturally acceptable like they they had a bit more of a redneck fan base originally and I think she underestimated that. It's weird when you come out of a college like Harvard and there's a certain level of arrogance that comes with that because I've been in a university system before at a pretty low level. And I mean, when you're at university, there's something about it where you go, oh, okay, look, I'm, I'm a pretty switched on unit. And then when you're at one of the most respected or formerly respected universities in the United States or colleges in that instance, and you leave, you've graduated, it's a respected school, as if you wouldn't come out with a little bit of swagger but the problem is the swag is all filled and like the, on a foundation of some weird woke ideology. So she comes out and she was a little bit she was a little bit rude, I thought, towards their actual consumer base, like to the people who have been supporting the company for that many years. Uh, she she spoke down to them. She spoke of them as rednecks essentially, and saying it was time to expand their horizon of who drinks Bud Light. And I don't know, it's weird because I reckon I can get stuck in an echo chamber at times. But as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, there's no way this is going to work. 
Like it just seems like a bad decision. It seems as though it's gonna backfire. Like when a beer company starts giving any form of advice, it's like here in Australia when VB, who has always just been about like being a manly man and getting it done and having a drink with your mates, started coming out and saying, hey, but also like make sure you get vaccinated because <laughs> this is about your health. It's like, all right, first of all, beer company, don't talk to me about my health because we all know you're just taking the piss now. This is a pure marketing stunt. It seems too see-through, doesn't it? Anyway, I'm not 100% sure. Is it Anheuser? And, and I can't remember the company's name, like the Umbrella Company, but essentially it took a whack on the stock market, which is nice to see and people get excited about. But but I feel like, and I hope I'm wrong here. I hope I'm wrong. But, but people have a relatively short memory. And I also don't think a lot of, uh, uh, this might be wrong. I was going to say, all it takes is for the company to bring out one cool product that people actually want. And uh, the stock price jumps back up again. Do you remember when Gillette did their ad a few years ago against men? I'd love to know how they're tracking because, I mean, they're still marketing pretty hard. And this is the frustrating thing. Like, I know they can take a whack temporarily, but it always seems that these companies, not all, but it seems like so many of these companies come through the other side and, and they don't seem to learn their lesson. Maybe I'm being cynical. I don't know. But we'll, we'll watch and tell. But I thought it was an interesting take by Rogan. I was like, come on, dude, you're, you're more switched on than this. You know this is an issue. Like, the issue isn't that you're just trying to reach new people. The issue is that they're trying to shove a political message down our throat. And it's like, well, I don't even think, like, there's real convincing evidence that you should be shoving your main product down our throat because it's, it's not great for anyone. I mean, it's enjoyable. That's a bad point, isn't it? But, yeah. Watch this space, I guess. I, I just... I've got nothing against that Dylan Mulvaney. But maybe I do. Do you call? Do you say he or she in this situation now? I I still see a guy, which is the wrong thing to say. I know, like politically incorrect. But when I hear him talk, I, yeah, okay, I, I feel like the truth just slips out of me because I go, okay, I, I can I can hear him talk. It's are we just playing dress ups? Is that because you don't want to be you don't want to be disrespectful? Because obviously, with a lot of these people, there's there's something going on. Like it would be a crazy experience to feel like you're in a in the wrong body. But at the same time, it just it seems like dress ups. Like my boy sometimes comes out of uh, my wife's room wearing her bra. And he goes, hey, look, Dad, I'm a girl. I go, no, you're not. And he goes, yeah, I know. I was, just, I was just dressing up. But then you grow up and you're in a woke culture and people do the same thing. And just because they've taken it a step further and, and either done the old tuck or the old snip, you've got to take it really seriously. But you go, what? this is the first thing I learned at school was there's boys and girls. When did that change? This is un You can't just be changing the rules on fundamental things like that because it gets really confusing. Anyway, I'm not 100% sure what to make of it, but it was, uh, it's hard because there's smart people on every every side of an argument. I, I felt that with the vaccine as well. There were so many smart people, so I always felt like it was difficult to really justify an opinion because if uh, uh, people loved referring to the experts, didn't they? And they love referring to the experts in everything. But the problem is, as we've been over 100 times, even the experts disagree, which is why it's, it's really interesting at the moment just watching all the different rules and standards that different countries have on who should be vaccinated and who shouldn't be. Like Switzerland has, has just gotten rid of a whole heap of vaccines because they don't need it anymore because apparently people have been exposed to the virus or vaccinated. But I remember even claiming that being exposed to the virus was something which was good for your immune system, which for all of human history, as far as we know, like some kind of exposure to the virus you're trying to protect yourself from, 
especially things like colds and flus, is actually good. That's why the flu vaccine exists. But I remember you said like natural immunity, and people go, nah, nah, it doesn't work with this. You have to, you have to get the vaccine. It's the only form of immunity that's possible. And if you said anything else, Facebook would put like an asterisk next to your name and say it's very naughty. <laughs> but at the same time, the CDC are recommending that kids six months to four years get three shots. And then in Australia, they said, no, it's all safe and effective. Just get whichever one you can. It's for the best. And then, and then three weeks ago, they, they took AstraZeneca off the market very subtly, very quietly. People go, hey, why'd you do that? And then you click on the Victorian government website and the Victorian government, oh, sorry, the Australian government goes, okay, well, we said it was safe and effective, yeah? And we go, yeah, yeah. They go, well, it, it, so, uh, look, it is and it isn't. You go, well, that doesn't really make sense. Can you explain that in a little more detail to me, please? And they go, well, it's got rare but very serious side effects in some people. And you go, wait, you, you told me I had to get it. They said, no, it was your choice. It was optional. And you go, well, I remember saying to you, would, would you sign off on the fact that it's safe and effective? And you said no. And then you said, you have to get it, otherwise you can't go to work. But it was, I'm not, and then they take it off the market because apparently it's not safe and effective. You, you can't be shocked, though. We've known this about governments for a long time, that, that truth isn't at the core of what they're about. And that's, that's fine. It's frustrating, but it's fine, because I know one of my mates got that one because he thought it was the best option. And he is fine, thank God, as most people are after a vaccine. But the fact that you're not allowed to talk about any of the side effects or you weren't for a long time. I heard stories about people coming out and just sharing their genuine vaccine injury stories and their stuff was taken down off Facebook. You go, I didn't know. (laughs) What's going on here? (laughs) This seems strange. Anyway, that's the long game for you. You uh, you figure things out in the end. I've always liked the long game. I've always had an appreciation for it. Jesse and I got together through a long game. I was thinking the other day, though, like I've, I've always, I don't know what it is. I've always been attracted to the kind of girl who just gives you absolutely no attention or they play super hard to get. Like I remember in high school, the first girl I had a crush on, she was playing super hard to get. I went and, and I spoke to her one lunchtime and I was like, hey, I wanted to let you know I, I, I really like you. And she's like, Tosh, you're not what I'm looking for in a man. And I was like, oh, she's good. She's good at this. And I remember, okay, I'll, I'll just play it cool. Give her a month to realize what she's missing. I went back to her a month later. I go, hey, wanted to let you know, give you one more chance. I, uh, I'm still very interested. And she's like, Tosh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I've just started dating someone. I was like, oh, man, she's, she's relentless. <laughs> Didn't stop there, though. Four years later, those two people, the person that she got in, uh, a relationship with they she got engaged to and now fast forward 15 years later she's married to him with four kids and I was like oh she's taking this to a next level but she'll crumble she'll crumble I know it's taken a while but eventually she's gonna wake up and go oh man Tyson's committed he's consistent even he's got married to make his point <laughs> he's got two kids himself yeah, you've got to have a respect for someone who plays a long game. I mean, she's taken it to a brand new level. Surely she can't last much longer. <laughs> it's so silly. Isn't the, the long game's a difficult thing to play? It's a very hard thing to play because 
I mean, especially on the guys' front, I think guys are, are, are so emotional and so, like, we're so physical, aren't we? We look at something and I cannot, I cannot want sex. And I, I can go into the bathroom and see my wife just got out of the shower. I go, you know what? It's, I don't need anything else right now. Just, just give me a cuddle. And she goes, I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. I'm, I'm not interested. And I said, hey, playing hard? You no, know, okay. I think sometimes you've just got to recognize the fact that people aren't playing hard to get. They just don't want to be got, isn't it? doesn't matter how good your hair looks. doesn't matter how much you've been to the gym, how good your calves look, how good your dance moves are. The handless tuck, it doesn't matter if you can flick it back and catch it between your legs. She's not interested. It's not sexy to her. I do that sometimes. I go in, I go, hi, I'm Tina. Hi, I'm Tyson. Do you know, it's like the, the tuck, the release. Hi, I'm Tina. Hi, I'm Tyson. She's going to be angry at me for telling you that because it's something that even she didn't want to be exposed to. And the fact I've just exposed you guys to that information, it's disappointing. And here's the problem I face as well. I'm, I, I need to work on my character and working on your character. You can't be doing your Tina Tyson jokes. I mean, I'm, I'm reading a, a book that I've had on my shelf for a long time at the moment. It's called Me Christianity by a great man called C.S. Lewis. Every now and then I'll, I'll make a comment like that and I'd go, hey, you reckon C.S. Lewis would have done that to his wife? And, and immediately I know the answer is no. And you know why it is? Because he was, he was very intelligent. He was very switched on. He was very respectful. <laughs> and he, there's no way. I actually don't know his name. I always just know him as C.S. Lewis. So I don't know what he would have called himself if he was doing the handless tuck. Interesting book, though. So Mere Christianity, it was originally like a radio presentation to, I think it was all across the UK, at least in London. And it was first released i think or first broadcast in 1943 it was during the the blitz on london it was like where the germans were coming across and bombing and it's like a really interesting concept that this guy comes out and he starts talking about christianity and starts talking about like evil and good and i tell you if it's a really i feel like it would be really challenging because I, I bloody love Ricky Gervais, but he takes the piss out of people like Ricky Gervais because a, a lot of people, and Ricky's a, a smart bloke, but a lot of people love hearing him speak about God and how it's so ridiculous that, that God doesn't exist. And he just, he makes it look ridiculous. But he, he speaks about that and he explains that uh, like a lot of the arguments that a bloke like Ricky Gervais uses are, are set up to be like a six-year-old argument. So it's so much easier to shut down like a really basic argument. So if Ricky comes out and goes, oh, God, he's ridiculous because there's childhood cancer. Well, that's actually one of the, the points that, that got me. He's like, all right, the only way you know what a crooked line looks like is if you know what a straight line is. And you're like, okay, that makes sense. He goes, so within each of us, there's some kind of moral code or there's some kind of law which seems to have been placed there, which... In most instances, in every people group all around the world, we can recognize things that are wrong, like um, like abusing your wife. It, it's not a good thing to do. You know that, and I know that. But what is it within us that allows it to know us? He says it's this kind of moral code that's been placed there by a God. And this is like such the surface level explanation because obviously that doesn't even speak to the fact of like, is it a Christian God? Is it a Muslim God? Is it a Hindu God? But there's something there's something in there that helps us recognize like, ah, oh, yeah, that is wrong. And we look at people who don't notice that it's wrong and we're like, oh, it's a sociopath. They don't have that basic human skill. 
So they're like they're the strange ones. So it's really interesting. And he was explaining that the fact that a God is a really difficult thing to explain is actually probably more evidence that it's realistic. Or he was speaking in regards to like the Bible and saying that there seems to be so many um, questions. Like the more you read, the more questions you have. And he goes, yeah, but but look at everything. Like look at the way that the planets are set up. Planets, uh, ideally, it would be nice if they were separated equally by distance and they got progressively uh, smaller as they went. Or there was just some kind of... Uh, sequence to the events that we were seeing when we when we look at them but he goes that's not the case some planets have four moons some have two some have rings around them um, <laughs> like they're spaced out just sporadically so we look at that we're like ah oh, man it, like is this a really a design not that we can see so the very nature of reality is like oh man okay I've got a lot more questions so the idea that a book like the Bible forces us to have more questions is actually something that in his opinion gives it more credibility. And I, I kind of get it. But, I mean, you have to... I'm, I'm doing a very brief explanation to what he spends a few chapters on. And he's a lot smarter than me. So if you're interested, I, I recommend it. Go and check it out. It's what... My wife gave me shit the other day because I was laying in bed and it was like the fourth night I'd been reading it. And I was up to page 17. And she's like, well, have you started that again? I was like, no, no. And she's like, well, why... Why are you only up to page 17? Like, you've, you've been reading it a lot. And I was like, yeah, okay, I have to, like, every couple of lines, I have to stop and just think about what it is he's saying because it's, I mean, there's some big stuff in there. I get excited with books as well. I've got, like, seven books going at, at any one time. I, it's a, I don't know if it's a bad habit. I kind of like it. I like the choice. The other one I'm listening to is, is one called Groupthink, and it just talks about, I mean, it talks about a whole range of things, but it talks about how the masses can get caught up on one particular idea. And anyone who doesn't believe that idea is is deemed a little bit crazy. Like, I don't know what year it was taking place. Was it the 1600s when people were, were burning so-called witches at the stake? And it was just a well-known fact that demons were possessing some women's bodies. And as a result, they, they were witches. And then they were burning it. And now we all look back and we're like, oh, those people were crazy. They thought they were witches. And they're like, yeah, yeah, no, but we haven't fully escaped that uh, that mindset. Like, that group psychology is still a, it's still a big thing. I've just realized as I speak about these books, it's, it's difficult to do justice to a well-written book in a, in a minute, isn't it? But anyway, man, the other thing, oi, um, the other thing I've been checking out, you've got to go and watch this. Have you seen the Criminal Psychology channel on YouTube? A, a random video popped up the other day. Uh, and it was, uh, I can't remember his name. It was a kid who, he, he like shot up a school a few years ago. There was 17 people killed and it was just his photo and he was in a little interrogation room. I was like, this looks interesting. Anyway, I clicked on it. Man, oi, go check it out. It is wild. Like, it's pretty heavy. Some of the stuff they talk about is pretty heavy. It's, it's wild to see some of the people in this world. It's wild to see what some people are capable of doing. Like, I know we're all capable of some pretty intense stuff, but just to see a relatively normal person sitting in the interrogation room being questioned about some horrific crime... Like there was one guy in there who just killed his mum, his dad, and his two brothers, a 15-year-old kid. And it was an interrogation with him and his three mates. 
and they were all being interrogated individually. And then one of the kids was asked, okay, like, where was Nick last night? Did he disappear? And he's like, no, no, he didn't disappear. He's like, oh, well, your friend said that he did disappear. He's like, oh, now I think of it, he did. So the story went that this Nick kid, he left a group sleepover. He went back to his place. And after some pretty intense fighting with his dad, he sat on the couch across from his dad with like a little pistol and because his dad had fallen asleep. And he just flirted with the idea of killing him. He said he just kept lifting the gun up to his head and then taking it down. And then after a while, he's like, all right, I'm just going to commit. I'm going to do it. And he did. But his mum was asleep upstairs. His two brothers were asleep upstairs. And he said he just got into some emotional panic. He didn't know what to do. So he went upstairs and and shot his mum because he was scared of what she was going to do. And then he's like, well, I've got no other option. I have to go kill my brothers. And man, it's just such a... Like, you, you know when you think you've had a bad night and then you hear a story like this, you're like, oh, no, that's a bad night. <laughs> that's a, but then it's really strange. So you see him in the interrogation room and he's eating, he's drinking, he's laughing, and then he realizes he's actually one of the um, suspects. He starts to panic a little bit more. But it's really freaky to me to see that a kid like that has just done these horrific things and now he's just sitting there like his whole life has changed in more ways than one like he doesn't have that family anymore he's likely going to spend the rest of his life in jail and he's sitting there eating chips a burger and a, a coke and it wasn't until the detective started really drilling him hard that he's like oh crap now i'm emotional and then it fast forwards to the end and it shows that he's in some prison he's up for parole in 2031 and you can write letters to him if you want because he's a prisoner looking for <laughs> looking for friends. It's a very strange experience. I don't know how you... It'd be a weird experience after that, just trying to navigate your way through life, wouldn't it? Like, I, I sometimes yell at my kid too loudly, and it takes me a day to get over it. I was like, oh, Tyce, you're really stuffed up there. Imagine killing your whole family. Like, it's... Oy, don't imagine that. That's a heavy note to end this thing on, though, isn't it? I was, I was trying to bring some laughs and, and stuff. We finished it on, you know, how realistic the idea of a god is. And Nick just killed his whole family. But hey, <laughs> do with that what you will. May God bless you. And I'll, uh, I'll see you here again next week. All right, peace.